Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 302 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm so glad that you're here today as I am talking to Rudy Ruiz, who was fantastic to speak to. And we talked a little bit about how to open yourself to edits and the editing process and what that means for all of us. And you know that it is one of my favorite things to talk about. So please stay tuned for that little bit of an update about what is going on around here. Uh, it has been, it has felt like a very, very busy week, a lot of things to do. And then um, yesterday when I woke up, it was Wednesday morning here in New Zealand, Tuesday in the States, and I had an email from my editor saying, uh, congratulations on the paperback release of Hush Little Baby. And I thought, what? That doesn't come out for another week, does it? No, it came out that day yesterday. And it was a complete surprise to me. It had been March 17th. And I was, <laughs> I was not alerted that it moved, which is absolutely fine because I tend to get a little bit nervous before um, any book releases, even though this book has been out in hardcover. It has not been out in paperback. Paperback is what I'm really excited about. Uh, a lot more affordable and gettable and exciting. So um, new cover, fantastic. What's been happening a lot, though, is the supply chain issues have been moving books around. They've been, what I have heard a lot of is people having their books schedule pushed back. So further, further out, I guess. So further down the line. And all I can guess is perhaps somebody's book got pushed further down the line. So mine was bumped up a week and surprise. So yesterday morning I had woken up with um, the full intention of writing 3000 words on seven miracles, which is the book I'm first drafting right now. And I, I did not, I did not. I absolutely did not. What I did was social media and it was, it was actually pretty fun. What happens in this particular case is that my publisher, um, Penguin Dutton, had already sent me a list, uh, sent me a, um, a file full of graphics. And they were, you know, the flat lay of the book and releasing now and uh, the book with, you know, a quote from another author on it or a quote from a review on it. So I was putting those up there. I also spent some time over on TikTok. I really like TikTok, y'all. I really like book talk. So if you are interested in book talk, come find me over there. I'm just Rachel Heron, of course. Um, come follow me and see what I'm doing. But I was talking up Hush Little Baby, which it was, you know, post Mother's Day weekend. And Hush Little Baby is a mother-daughter story <laughs> at its core. It's a it's an own voices queer uh story about a recovering alcoholic who um, you know what? I never do this. I just decided to do this. I'm gonna read you the back of the book. Honestly, I don't even know what's on the back of the book. I literally don't. So let's let's do this together, shall we? Oh my gosh, this is gonna be fun. Okay, the front of it, I will uh, describe it for people who are not watching on the video. It has a scary picture of a darkened house that might be like a dollhouse resting in front of some blue and uh, white curtains. There's something resting next to the dollhouse. And I honest to God do not know what it is. It looks like maybe a pair of earrings or a broken something. I've been trying to figure that out for a while. 
Hush Little Baby is what it's called. And on the front, there is a quote from Lisa Scottolini, who was on the show and is amazing. Uh, she said, a dark, twisty, totally modern thriller that I couldn't put down. On the back, it says, a propulsive thriller that asks how tightly we are bound to our pasts, how much we can trust those around us, and how far will a mother go to protect her child? And let me tell you that uh, in traditional publishing, my experience has been with all of my books that I don't write the back copy. I do not write this back blurb. Thank God. Uh, the editor usually does it, and the editor usually has a little, little bit of distance and so probably does a better job at it. And the author, in my experience, gets um, editing rights on that. Like she'll send it to me and say, Do you like this? Would you change anything? She sends it to my agent, same thing. Uh, but then this is what goes on. And this was so long ago, I can't remember. So Jillian Marsh is a survivor. She escaped her toxic upbringing at the hands of her religious zealot mother, and after hitting rock bottom in her 20s due to alcoholism, she not only got sober, but built a successful marriage and medical career. Nearly a decade later, the life Jillian worked so hard for is coming apart. Her wife, Rochelle, has left her, despite Jillian's being pregnant with their child, and she feels constantly tense living alone in her house. Even her mommies-to-be group, three women who are now all she has left, isn't the solace it once was as secrets among the group unwillingly come to light. When Jillian's uneasiness at home escalate to, escalates to tangible threats, items missing, candles lit, windows left open, she can't tell if her pregnancy is taking a psychological toll on her or if, they may, or if there may be someone out there with a motive to sabotage her and her unborn child. As the circle of those she can trust continues to dwindle, Jillian knows only one thing for sure. She will do anything to protect her baby. And then from E.G. Scott, uh, there's a quote that says, a gripping, deftly plotted thriller and so much more, R.A. Charon delivers an unflinching meditation on womanhood, motherhood, and sisterhood. <laughs> All the hoods. Hush Little Baby is a fiercely compelling must read. And then here's, here's the bio, and I think this is interesting, so I'm going to share it with you too. R.H. Heron received her MFA in writing from Mills College, Oakland. She is the author of the thriller Stolen Things and Hush Little Baby, as well as the best-selling author under a different name of more than two dozen books. And then it's got my social media stuff. They don't tell my other name, which is actually my real name, just like R.H. Heron is my real name, Rachel Heron. Um, what else does it not say on here? Oh, I will just I'll just point out one thing that I think is fun. Uh, Jillian is pregnant with Rochelle's baby. And that last line of the blurb that says, she will do anything to protect her baby. That's a tiny bit of a spoiler. I mean, it's not a bad spoiler. It's not going to ruin anything for you because I'm sure you'll run right out and grab it. Uh, but the thing I really liked about Jillian is that she was ambivalent about her pregnancy. Um, she didn't really want to have a baby. Her wife had tried over and over again to get pregnant and couldn't. And because they did want a kid, Jillian then offers her own body to carry the implanted uh, embryo that it was made with her wife's egg. So, so the child inside her body is not, you know, it is hers, it's inside her body, but it's also her wife's DNA. And then her wife leaves her. And um, interestingly, I think I mentioned this recently, that, sorry, as I move around in my chair, um, I had written this originally as a uh, straight heterosexual book, hated it. I think the whole first draft may have been heterosexual. So of course it was her baby. And I just, I was really not feeling the het relationship. So I asked my editor if I could make uh, them gay. And then that presented itself to me because I thought that was a much more interesting and compelling idea. What happens when you are carrying your wife's child and then you separate? I, I contacted a, a California 
adoption marriage lawyer um, to talk about this, which was hilarious, actually. I had reached out to a, a couple of lawyers. I didn't I didn't want to pay anybody. I was just, you know, trying to get an okay semblance of verisimilitude, really. Like, is this completely beyond the pale? Is this law absolutely backwards? So I didn't get any, you know, ridiculous mail. But this uh, one called me right back immediately. And he was also a writer. So he wanted to talk about writing, which was really fun. He actually sent me his book. It was adorable. And he's thanked in the acknowledgments, of course, because we always thank people like that. And he explained how that would work in California. And um, yeah, I. where am I going with this? This book is now on tables in a bookstore near you, hopefully. And I am excited about it. And I want to be really open about that. I'm excited about this book coming out. This is, I can say with confidence, this is the best book I ever wrote. It truly is. My uh, my wife, who never pulls punches with me in the in, in what she thinks, also thinks this is the best book I have ever written. She would tell me if it wasn't. Um, I can feel that. But I also want to point out that it has not sold well in hardcover. It was a hardcover in a pandemic when people were not going to bookstores. It has sold probably the worst of all of my books ever in hardcover. So the fact that it gets another shot at life in paperback form, this book that I love so much that was really my first time putting a queer main, main character in Stolen Things, one of the three main characters, the daughter is um, is gay. Is she bisexual? I can't remember. I think she's gay. But this is a single point of view book and it's with a lesbian narrator. And I really love that. And also I got to work in my own recovery in here. And the thing I like about the recovery that is in this book is that this is not a book about recovery. This is a book about a an alcoholic in recovery who happens to have some things happening to her and around her and very scary things and parts of her past and perhaps a large mistake that she made is coming back to haunt her. But it's not about alcoholism. It's not about addiction. However, addiction is a part of her personality, just like it is mine. So I don't know. It's... I really love this book. If you've never read one of my books, go read this one. Why don't you? And then tell me how you feel about it. I'm very proud of it. And I think it's scary and funny and sweet. And it is about the mother-daughter relationship. This is where I was going. Full circle here. So I spent the day yesterday on social media talking about the mother-daughter relationship. And I decided that I would show the book. I would say that it was out. And then I spent the rest of the day telling four, four or five stories about mother, my mother-daughter experiences. I don't have kids. I don't have that um, to write about, but I do have a goddaughter and I did I did have the best mother in the world. And that is my core story. The mother-daughter experience is my core story, that along with Chosen Family. And this is a book about both. So it was fun to put those TikToks out. I cross-posted them to Instagram. You can follow me over there. You can see what I did if you're interested in that. And other than that, I've just got my fingers crossed. Oh, if you are in New Zealand, there are some New Zealand listeners here. I do have a launch party scheduled for the 28th of June. So it's not for another six weeks or so, but it will be at Unity Bookstore in Wellington, which is such an amazing bookstore. So that is where the launch will be. It's on a, uh, yeah, I think it's a Tuesday night, uh, 28th of June. So please come if you are in the area. I would really love to meet you. Also, I'm terrified that nobody will show up. I'm sure that I will mention that again. 
All right. What else is going on? Uh, like I said, I'm writing Seven Miracles. I'm about 28,000 words into the book now. I threw out the first 27,000 words that I had written because I had just, I had gone. Here, here's what happened. I, uh, I was trying to go the commercial route and I decided not to. And now I'm just going the fun route. I'm writing what I want to write. And I may regret that. I don't, you know, I, that's that was flip of me to say. I don't, I know that I will not regret that because I'm writing this to please myself. That's it. That's it. And then I will get it published in some way, shape or form. Uh, my agent has the memoir. She is going to read it soon and then she will take it out and either she will sell it or she won't. And then I will self-publish the memoir. So just a lot of irons in the fire, having a lot of fun. And uh, the migraine that was plaguing me last week has been cleared up with a new, very simple medication. Um, apparently I was having histamine migraine. So just being on back on antihistamines has really fixed that. So I feel a lot better and stronger and yeah, just thrilled, thrilled to be writing. I've already done 3000 words and it is not even, uh, 11 AM here yet. So that's fantastic. And in a few minutes, I'm going to go join Rachel Says Write and do some more writing. So, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> now I just feel like I'm babbling. Let's get into the interview with Rudy Ruiz. Here is his bio. Rudy Ruiz is a writer of literary fiction, a native of the U.S.-Mexico border. His earliest works were published at Harvard, where he studied literature, creative writing, government, and public policy, earning bachelor's and master's degrees. In 2017, Rudy Ruiz was awarded the Gulf Coast Prize in Fiction. In 2020, he was a finalist for both the Texas Institute of Letters Best Short Story Award, as well as the Texas Observer's annual short story contest. In 2020, Blackstone Publishing released Ruiz's novel, The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez. The novel received critical acclaim and multiple awards and was named one of the top 10 best first novels of 2020 by the American Library Association's book list. Please enjoy this fabulous interview with Rudy. Please begin a little bit of your own writing done, just a little bit just a little bit. We'll get the books done and come find me online where I am and tell me about them. And I wish you happy writing. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay. Now on to the interview. Well, hello there, Rudy. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Will you please give us your full name and your pronouns? Yes, it's Rudy Ruiz, and it's he, his, him, or he, him, his. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have been so excited to talk to you for um, very selfish reasons, honestly, because my next book that I'm diving into is Magical Realism, um, which has always been a favorite of mine, and I've never written it before. So this is going to be new. And we'll get to the questions that um, I sent you. I'm sure we will. But I kind of want to throw a curveball at you right here at the top and ask you, so is there any crossover in your mind with you being a border native and writing about life on the border. Is there any connection to magical realism in your brain somehow? I mean, I feel like very much the answer would be yes. Um, when I first read magical realism, uh, it was in college um, and 
I immediately connected to the writing style and it felt like a cultural connection to it. I mean, yeah. part of it may have been I was reading, you know, some Latin American authors like Marquez and Allende and yeah, right, Isabella Allende. Um, but um, I also was fortunate enough to have learned Spanish when I was growing up. So I actually got to read them in Spanish as well. Oh, so wow. it was just a really deep cultural connection. And I felt like, oh, I'd always known I wanted to be a writer. But when I read that style, I thought I just need to write this, you know, style. And there's something about living on the border, growing up on a border and crossing that border regularly that I feel like almost like trains your mind and 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 your heart to uh, be open to possibilities and fluidity and yeah. uh, breaking barriers and magical realism does that so poetically. And, and I was just drawn to that. That is, uh, that is kind of what I wondered if you would say, or you could have said, no, I don't, I don't even understand how those are connected, but there, but there is something <laughs> so beautiful to me about that liminal state of border crossing and, and the, and crossing the borders of imagination and genre and playing with all of that. Um, yeah, that's. I love that question. And yeah, you know, it's like the thing about magical realism is in that style, you cross those borders so seamlessly and effortlessly and naturally, they are not seen really as impossible or supernatural. And that's very much how you cross the border daily when I was growing up. It wasn't as overly militarized, uh, yeah. you know, or fenced off um, as it is nowadays. And it felt like a very natural way of life. I love that. That's gorgeous. I not recently, cause I haven't been too many places in the States for a while now, but um, I recently flew over part of the border and I think it was above kind of some parts of Texas and it was astonishing the line of demarcation that is there now. Like there's just, there's, you can, you can see all the things that we didn't, I was raised in California and also crossing the border just fluidly. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, no, where do you live really now? Sad. I live in uh, San Antonio, Texas with my okay. wife and uh, my kids. Uh, one of our kids is already a grown up, So she's, she's actually, she lives in the Boston area, but our son is in high school and he, he lives here with us and, and, and so here we are, not that far from the border, you know, close yeah. enough that that um, it's still very much um, part of um, similar culture. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? When, how, where, where are you getting all of this done? Talk to us about the actual physical process of doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, when I'm writing and I'm deep into you know, a project, it, it, I usually tend to like to take advantage of the mornings. My, my, my mind feels very fresh and eager, you know, <laughs> uh, and uncluttered, uh, you know, kind of after the morning coffee. Uh, and so um, I have this little kind of writer's artist studio space in the house that I share with my wife, who's a designer uh, and artist. Wow. So, we have this nice big table where we have kind of like remember the game Battleship where you would face off. Yes. We have our we have our our, our IMAX like kind of you know back to back and and so we can both be creative in here and work. Um, and I like to just kind of come in here and focus for a couple hours. If I can get two good productive hours in the morning, 
uh, of fresh writing, then the afternoon I might be doing editing. Uh, sometimes if I'm really on a roll, you know, I'll, I'll take a break for that kind of lunch or whatever to clear the mind and then come back and do another good two hour session in the, in the afternoon. But that's typically, you know, that's typically what I try to keep it to. I try to keep myself yeah. in years past. I used to, you know, burn the midnight oil and, and toil all night and everything. Uh, but I kind of found that that was a little too, uh, um, kind of too unbalanced for me, you know, it kind of starts sacrificing too much of your family life and your personal life. So I try to keep it in balance. And only if I'm like on a total, total tear, and I'm totally inspired, and I have to go back after dinner, then I'll put in another, you know, hour or two, but I try to minimize that. Or if you're on terrible deadline, of course, that's when all my roles go out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So deadline, I'm, fasc- yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated by um, the fact that you work with near battleship Esque with your wife. So when we were moving to New Zealand, my wife and I were moving around, staying in mostly Airbnbs. And so we had to like share the one tiny table that they would have. And I really thought it would be awful to be a writer in the room with somebody else. And it wasn't, it was, it was actually okay for me to do. How do, how do you find that being, does she distract you? Is it a good distraction? How does that feel? <laughs> I'm fascinated. It's a great distraction. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong distraction. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's um, it, I think it's the writing that's more of the distraction to be honest, but. Um, I love that. <laughs> I think uh, for the most part, my, uh, my wife, her name is Heather. She, 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 she knows when I'm really like, uh, I guess, in, in deep, you know, and she's a writer as well. So she uh, very much respects that and, and kind of tries not to, you know, get me off track. Um, so that's great. And uh, and she'll have her own work. So we'll kind of get immersed. You know, we'll, we'll put our headphones on or our AirPods and and I'll listen to, you know, certain type of music to try to get kind of in the mood, you know inspired and and transported elsewhere so it works really really nicely airpods are the best thing that have ever been invented with the with the noise canceling it is i know i can't sublime. believe how good it is it's sub it's incredible it's saved my life several times this year um what are you listening to when you are writing well you know it really depends on 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 the book i've found that different you know types of music will kind of get me in a different kind of mood. So it makes sense. Um, in, in my recent novel, The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez, uh, it's set kind of in the parts of it are set in the 1950s on the border. And so the music I listened to was um, the, the music, the songs that the character actually sings in, in the story. Um, <sighs> the character sings a lot of classic Mexican songs from that age. Uh, they're called boleros and they're like love, love songs. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you're familiar with them. They're love songs. Familiar. They're usually sung by like a trio or maybe sometimes mariachis, but sometimes it's just a trio. It's three musicians playing the guitar, singing these, these beautiful love songs. And, and so that's what I listened to mostly when I was working on that book, because it's a romantic story uh, and the character sings those songs and they kind of chart the journey that he goes through of falling in love and heartbreak and, and, you know, redemption and, and reconciliation and so forth. Oh, that's perfect. I think I read in your um, press materials that you're working on Fulgencio's prequel. Is that right? Yes. The or new is novel- the prequel, is Fulgencio in it or is it other people? 
Fulhensky's not in it, but there are some of the smaller characters that that come back, and I explore them a little bit more. In the resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez, Fulgencio is saddled with this family curse that has haunted the men in his uh, family for generations. And uh, and in this prequel, Valley of Shadows, uh, which is coming out in September, uh, it's set out in West Texas in the 1880s. And it's one of Fulgencio's ancestors who is um, the, the protagonist. And so he's actually the first generation uh, that carries the curse and is sort of is also, you know, he he fled uh, his home his home and fled out to West Texas to try to try to escape the curse, but uh, it's kind of hard. <laughs> so, so some of the characters that appear are characters that that in flashbacks had small parts in in the Fulgencio novel. That's so cool, but you're going hardcore deep historical. Whereas before yeah. it was the fifties and the fifties and the eighties, I want to say no fifties and the. Yes. With Fulgencio, it was Fulgencio. set in the fifties and the eighties and a little 80s, bit yeah. in the thousands, the two thousands. Yeah. Um, and in this one, it's really the 1880s and then going back to 1860s um, and 1848, which is when the U.S.-Mexico War ended and the Rio Grande became designated the border between the two countries. Wow. And so that's when the curse, that's sort of when the curse uh, begins on the family. So now I have to ask, what are you listening to for this book? Is it still Boleros or something else? I've tried to listen to music that gets me in the mood, like kind of like I'm almost feeling like I'm watching a Western movie. <laughs> There's so some good soundtracks out right now, I bet, for that. Yeah. So I listen yeah. to some soundtracks from, from Westerns, uh, listen to just instrumental guitar that kind of has a little bit of uh, that Western yeah. twang, you know, feel. Uh, and that kind of gets gets me in the mood. Sometimes lyrics can just can kind of distract the, my mind from writing a little bit. So I like to listen to instrumental, um, you know, guitar work for that. And, and it does, it has worked. It kind of gets me into that feeling of, of being in, in immersed in that different time. That's awesome. I love hearing what people are listening to. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Oh man, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a big one. gosh, I mean, I, I think I, for me, it's two, you know, one is, one is always like believing in yourself. I mean, you know, it's, it's always, I think most writers and artists I, I talk to, always struggle with that is is just you go through times when you know you just wonder <laughs> if you're good enough if the work is good enough you know those kind of things and then you have you have those moments that that validate you and reassure you and people people give you wonderful feedback and and you know you're on the right track you know but it's always I think something that is part of the love-hate relationship <laughs> that I have at least with writing is you know I love writing but then sometimes it does fill you with, with, with doubt and, uh, you know, could you do better and those kind of things. That's sort of, there's that aspect. I think the other aspect is, um, you know, sometimes writing can be a little bit isolating, uh, as you know, and you have to spend a lot of time. I mean, I've been impressed by how much you've written. I've seen you've had a lot of books uh, published over the years. And, and I mean, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time spent editing, you know, not just writing, but the editing process is, is can be very, um, you know, just long banging your head against the wall. Takes yeah, a while, you know? yeah. So, so that isolating part of it is challenging, but then I think that's why I love 
opportunities like this to talk to fellow yeah. writers, you know, and, and and talk about the craft and you, f- you be a part of a community of of artists and 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 that you feel supported and you don't feel alone. And that's nice. Nobody gets it like other art, like other writers that we could talk about writing all day, every day from morning till night. And when we go to conferences back in the old days, like we would remember, we would yeah. start talking <laughs> break of dawn and not stop until the bar shut down. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's part of, that's a wonderful part. What is your biggest joy? Speaking of wonderful parts, what's your biggest joy in writing? I, I just, I love the creative process when I, when I'm feeling inspired and I am excited to wake up and excited to get to the yeah. computer and, and start writing and, and get immersed in that, in that magical different world that I'm writing about and those characters. And it's like, I'm hanging out with friends uh, or, you know, people that I would love to know or, or that I do know because I'm creating them, but it, it feels like a total escape from reality. Uh, and it <laughs> and is I love really. That. Yeah, I love that part. I love that part because um, it's just very hard to describe that experience, but um, it is a, a unique kind of experience that you, I just don't get to feel in any other aspect of, of my life. And, and and so I treasure it. That that deep flow state that we can sometimes get into, not always. I remember when I used to go to this one cafe, I did a lot of my writing there. And I remember when I would I would blink, I would look up and I would blink and I would realize that there were people all around me that I had not been seeing for 30 minutes. Even if I'd been staring straight ahead, I, they had not been there and were they there the whole time. And what was my face doing <laughs> while they were there? Yeah. It is can wild. You, and, and it's like, you yeah. can time just sort of flows. Yeah. Like you don't realize like what two hours went by, you know, and you're immersed in writing this chapter and you, you totally lose track of time. And, um, it's amazing. It's a, it's a magical experience when you're in that, in that particular zone. And it's also frustrating because, you know, I want to, I want to feel the flow, but flow by definition, you can only know when you're coming out of it. Oh no, I was in flow and now I'm not. (laughs) It's like sleep that way. Oh, I was asleep. (laughs) Um, Can, can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Well, a craft tip. That's a, that's a good that's a good, always good. Um, you know, I mean, for me, um, I, I, I feel like one of the things I've learned over time that I have found to really appreciate is working in the, I used to hate the editing process. Um, I, I, I love to write and the creative process of getting it down on the page, you know, that first draft. And then I just, couldn't stand the editing. And I really learned to really appreciate the editing and working with like a good um, editor um, to, to, to polish, you know, a manuscript to deepen characters and their relationships and their kind of story arcs. Um, So for me, I mean, I guess that's, I don't know if it's a tip so much as, as, as a general state of mind, but I mean, for me, it'd be like, uh, really embracing the editing process. And like, for me, it's been very helpful to be open to the input of a good editor um, to, to really um, help a story become more nuanced and, and more meaningful. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that too, because um, I think it is so important and, and so crucial to being a writer, but um, this state of being open to an editor's suggestions 
how do you go about doing that? I, I will just tell you quickly my my method, which is to get the revision letter and immediately decry everything that is on the page and they're absolutely wrong. And then, then in the next 48 hours, it usually trickles all in that they're 100% right. And I was 100% wrong, um, but I need that 48 hours. I have never opened a revision letter and said, oh, yeah, no, you're right. That, that I got that all wrong. How do you handle being open to revision? I'm, I'm, I'm exactly like, exactly really? like you. <laughs> I mean, at first, I, at first, at first glance, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I hate this person. I can't stand it. How, this was how a can, mistake. You know, how can she do this? How can she do this to me? You know, she doesn't understand me or my characters. <laughs> and then, and then you're right. You sleep on it. You go back, you think about it. You're like start, grudgingly start to, you know, uh, admit that some of the feedback might be, you know, valid and that if you could tackle it right, you could make it a better story or a better, you know, character um, or make a character stronger. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a process of, of acceptance. It's almost like you go through the, what is it? The five stages of five grief, stages. you know, in a, in a very compressed. Bargaining, <laughs> very- denial. Yeah. Right. I think that I think that's really a good point, though. It is a certain type of grief because I think that as writers, we will always send our manuscripts out with this stupid hope that says, "This is the time they're going to write back and say, I fixed some commas, but otherwise it's great." And that's right. never going to happen. And we have to admit that that is the death of the book we thought we had, but it's the birth of the better book that was meant to totally. be. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I think I think it's you know you have to be working with the right person and have faith in that, but. Um, if you are fortunate enough to do so, then it can be a very, a very enriching process. And, um, you know, I think it's letting go of the ego a little bit, uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's healthy. It's good practice. <laughs> I, feel I, could, I could always use more of that. Um, what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? Huh, a surprising way. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's 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 family life of being a husband, being a, a, a father, uh, really, you know, when I was growing up, I always felt like I mentioned to you that I wanted to be a writer. I was writing stories when I was a kid and, and you know, they got more complex and longer as, as I got into high school and then I got serious, more serious about it in college. But I, I always thought, OK, I'm going to write novels, but and I loved reading, but I didn't feel like I was ready. Like I didn't feel like I had life ex- enough life experience. And for some people, the life experience that triggers um, their readiness for tackling a novel is maybe perhaps, you know, their job or their profession. They they go to war. You know, I mean, yeah. they 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 live some amazing, crazy story that that has to be told. Um, but for me, I think it was more like the the everyday life, uh, mm. the emotional life, you know, of family and, and, and the changing perspective of going from being, um, you know, the child in the family, uh, to being parent in the family, to being a spouse in the family and like, just kind of, kind of coming to better understand the nuances and, and, you know, the meaning, um, the, the perspectives of, of, of those relationships that to me, I, f- I felt like prepared me, or enriched my my writing to the point that I thought, okay, I'm ready to put a novel together, you know, and 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 it, it does surprise me, but I, I'm very grateful for that. I think that is just a beautiful, beautiful answer. And to be very honest, I'm always going to pick 
the book to read that is deep in those ways over the fantastic book about war. Like I'm, I'm always going to want to about the relationships between family members. That's, that's just always going to be my, my jam. So, okay. Speaking of reading, and I know you're still reading, what is the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it? Mm. Well, um, I, you know, kind of my favorite, I've had two favorites in the last year uh, or so. And, uh, one was, um, it's called Crooked Hallelujah by Kelly Joe Ford. I don't know. What a if great you're title. I'm not, I'm not familiar. Yeah. So Kelly Joe Ford, um, she got wonderful critical praise uh, for the book. And it's basically similar to what we were talking about. It centers on family relationships. It's like a, follows three, uh, I believe it's three, maybe four generations of, of women that are from the same family and they're, they're kind of chronicles their relationships with each other. And um, it, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, I, I loved it because it also, it gave me, um, I guess a, a, a glimpse into the life of, of and relationships of, of women in a, in a family and like matriarchs and, and daughters mm-hmm. and granddaughters that, that, you know, I, I, I would not otherwise perhaps be privy to if I wasn't reading this, yeah. this amazingly intimate, you know, story in a novel. Um, and then it also had very interesting cultural um, insights as well, as well, because the family was um, a, a, uh, an indigenous, you know, Native American family uh, in um, Oklahoma mm-hmm. and in parts of Oklahoma and Texas. So kind of gave That's me a glimpse into, yeah, into a culture that I wanted to learn more about as well. So that sounds wonderful. What's yeah. that's crooked hallelujah. What is the other one? Uh, the, the other one that I um, enjoyed a lot uh, is called uh, uh, a peculiar kind of immigrant's son uh, by uh, an author named Sergio Troncoso. And Sergio is uh, also a writer from the border. He grew up in El Paso, Texas, and he and I um, have had a nice rapport for a while. Uh, he's been a, a little bit of a mentor, you know, giving some advice here and there. Um, and, uh, and so I like his work a lot because when I read his work, I mean, I totally, it's one of those where it totally resonates with me because similar experiences, uh, in life, you know, growing up on the border, going up to the Northeast, to the East coast for our educations and, um, and kind of having this experience of living in multiple worlds throughout our lives. That's beautiful. Okay. Speaking of these multiple worlds and border crossings, can you now give us um, the logline elevator pitch for Fulhenitio and where the book can be found and all of that? <laughs> I know I'm the, putting you on the spot. <laughs> the, the pitch for, for the resurrection. Of for the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a magical realism novel. It's, it's really a love story. Um, and, but it's also about the journey of this, this you know, son of immigrants uh, growing up on the border. And he kind of simultaneously falls in love with um, a young woman, as well as the American dream, which she symbolizes. Um, and it kind of spurs him on to make some, somebody uh, of himself against very difficult odds in the 1950s for uh, a son of impoverished uh, immigrants, which you know, not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's still tough. Yeah. So uh, his story, I think, is inspiring. Uh, but then the fact that he's 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 battling this family curse and he's 
he's struggling against um, some tendencies like machismo and and some other things that he ten- tends to undermine himself with makes it a challenging a challenging journey for him. Um, and uh, and so um, you know the book's available on all the usual platforms: Amazon, Bookshop.org, um, you know Barnes and Noble, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was published by Blackstone Publishing. Uh, and they're also uh, releasing uh, Valley of Shadows coming in September. That's exciting. They're a great press. Um, and where can we find you? Uh, so you can find my work and learn more about me at uh, my website, rudyruiz.com. That's R-U-D-Y-R-U-I-Z.com. Uh, Good job at getting the .com of that. that <laughs> I know. A- I was lucky. I was lucky. I got lucky. I wasn't as lucky on Twitter. <laughs> Nobody is over there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rudy. It has been a delight to talk to you. Um, and I wish you Thank all you. Likewise, continued congratulations. success. Congratulations to you on all your success. I was so Thank impressed you. when I went to your website and I was like, wow, that you have such range that you've written oh. books in, in so many different styles and, and genres. So I'm excited to, when you come out with your magical realism novel, please uh, let me know because I'd like to I might hit you up for a blurb. Exactly. Right. Awesome. I'd be honored. <laughs> Thank you, Rudy, so much and happy writing to you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>